two weeks back, we looked at missions and personal evangelism, the goal of it all. Why did Paul specifically give his life to spreading the gospel? And we got the answer. Paul was all about winning. Winning. He mentions the word win five times in four verses in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to 22. Now is our focus in APJ 1898 recently. It's pretty easy to speak of evangelism in the abstract like that. And it's far more challenging to actually do evangelism. So today I want to encourage you with a story. This is the story of one man's attempt to win another man to Christ. A story of two neighbors. And it's a story that will challenge us to consider the all-important question behind all of our evangelism. What is Jesus worth to me? Your answer to that question becomes your shareable testimony. It's what you offer others as you seek to win them. To Christ. When it comes to personal evangelism, I'm encouraged by gritty and honest stories of doubt and hesitation and overcoming fears. And that's what we get today the story of one man, Pastor John, seeking to win his next door neighbor to Christ, a man named Alan. And a very rare extended story told by Pastor John back in 1982, over 40 years ago. Here it is I have a neighbor named Alan, and he's a single man, and in his 40s, I would guess. When Noel and I moved into the neighborhood over here, I met him probably the first or or second day, and in that conversation, I asked if he went to church anywhere, he said, no. And uh, my response to that was, well, you're sure welcome to come to Bethlehem anytime. He knew I was the pastor there, I told him. And I dropped it. Now, the reason I dropped it there, I mean, I assume when somebody says they don't go to church anywhere that they probably don't know Christ because Christ moves his people into fellowship. The reason I didn't follow up on that, though I suspected he needed the Lord very much, is not because I had a very clear and uh, wise strategy for reaching him in the next few weeks. It's because I was inept and my faith was not vital And Christ was not very precious to me at that moment, communicating to me a love for this man. Now, a year goes by. During the year from the summer of 80 to the summer of 81, I saw him, I I don't know how many times, but never in any extended conversation, just passing along the way. Hi, Alan. Hi, Alan. And that was it, pretty much, even though he lives right next door. And during the year... I could hardly ever go to prayer without him coming to mind. I would go to God feeling low sometimes and say, God, I want power. I want blessing on my life. Is there anything standing between me and you? Is there? Every time. I felt so guilty. And what happened was that I began to pray very fervently. And I asked the Lord to give me courage, most of all love, that I'd be authentic, really care so that when I spoke it was real. And then the Lord began very patiently to move me step by step. Here was step number one. He caused me in the spring to start carrying this little booklet around, Becoming a Christian by John Stott. I'd carry it in this pocket right here every day. And I vowed to the Lord, next time I see Alan, 
and I'm going to talk to him about his faith. I'm going to tell him, Alan, I care about you, and this book has been a help to me, and maybe you could read it, and we could talk about it. That was my tactic. Lord laid that on my heart. Okay. Summer, all the way through, up to July, end of July, and it's time to go on vacation. Never seen him. Hadn't seen him for three months. I carrying this thing the whole time. It's all shabby. I got a new one out and put it in my pocket. Then, I think it was about the day before vacation, just before August, I had to get some grading done on the side of the house. And he, I had to get his permission because he's going to go over into his yard, I thought. And uh, told him about the grading. That okay? Oh, sure. Alan, I said, uh, you remember last time we talked, you said you didn't go to church anywhere, and I, I assume that means you don't have much interest in Jesus either, and you probably know that I count him as my Lord, and uh, I'm really concerned when people don't care about Jesus, and I've been carrying this book around for three months in hopes to give it to you uh, so that maybe we could talk about uh, what it means to trust Christ. Uh, would you mind reading it? Sure, I'll read it. He was going to the Boundary Waters the next day. He took it, very courteous, thanked me for it. And uh, was the last I saw of him till Christmas. But I'm getting ahead of myself. After that, I was in constant prayer about how I should follow up on this. So you just can't, if you really care about somebody, you don't stick them with literature and run away. What do I do next, Lord? What's the next move? Uh, one Monday morning in the, uh, in the fall, I was praying back here in my study, and uh, I couldn't get off my knees until I made a vow to the Lord. And what I vowed was, I'll call him tonight. Then I got up, and I told these, these interns that afternoon, uh, guys, I'm going to call him tonight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him if we could talk about the book. And they prayed for me, and uh, 7.30, I called him, and he wasn't home. I called him again, he wasn't home. He didn't come home all night. But I felt good. Now, I'd never, I hadn't done that for a long time. And, and uh, that made me feel good that at least I'd done that. Now, I didn't feel right to call him the next night. Because the Lord started to lay on me another thing. Forget the phone. Let's have a face-to-face. Go. Jesus went. Go. Quit this intermediate stuff and go if you care. Now, the next thing that happened was this Christmas open house we had. That was uh, end of November. And he came. That's the first time I'd seen him since July. But the living room was just full of people. We sat on the floor together. And he felt so good to be there. He's just natural. And I said, great. He's not as scared of me. And that's good. But I didn't, I didn't ask him about the book there because there's so many people around. I don't know whether I should have or not, but I didn't. And he left. And I felt good that he had felt free to come. And I felt like now, now I know he's not... He's not afraid of me, and so we can be natural with each other. And then I did something that I recommend to everybody. Monday, December 14th, I took a retreat day. For five hours, I prayed and read the Bible. And the Lord laid on me a great burden for last week's sermon and this week's sermon. And I suspected very strongly I couldn't preach it if I didn't follow through with Alan. Pressure for a preacher. The fruitlessness of our witness at Bethlehem really weighed on me. And I knew the problem was as much with me as with any of you. 
And therefore, as a leader and a pastor, I knew some changes had to be made in me. Sure, I, I witness every Sunday from this pulpit. You may think, oh, Piper, he's so fortunate he can just declare the word all the time and feel great. And I talk to people about the Lord in my study every time they come there. I hardly let anybody get out without the gospel. That's easy. But when it comes to going to the people in the world where they are, like Jesus did, I am as hesitant as any of you. So don't think any differently. We're all in it together. I knew something had to give in me. Some had to snap. Some long ingrained fears had to be overcome if I was going to be any authentic minister. If I was going to keep going as pastor, I said to myself, I have to quit denying the gospel through silence. If I'm going to stand in this pulpit and say to you, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, I had to quit contradicting that command by my own neglect. So, December 23rd rolled around. Early before breakfast, I was praying downstairs. And the Lord did something he hasn't done forever, in one sense, to me. I was wrestling, wanting the resolve, yet not wanting the resolve, to get up off my knees and go. And the Lord would not let me up until I vowed to do it. That night. Now, besides 18 months of prayer and faltering and little baby steps, the thing that brought me to that point was this question. How much is Jesus worth? And I took one of these big yellow sheets of paper and I laid it beside me on the couch where I was kneeling. And I wrote for myself, how much is Jesus worth at the top of the page? And then here's what I wrote in answer. Jesus, I would rather have you as my savior and leader than keep my health, have my sons and wife, or preserve my own life. You are more valuable to me than all I own, all the friendships I cherish, all the pastimes I enjoy, and all my plans for the future. And then I wrote, why? Why is he so valuable? And I wrote three answers. First, Jesus, I could have no peace with God without you. My conscience declares to me there is a God and I am an accountable sinner. And without your death on the cross, Jesus, I would live daily in the misery of guilt. Second, Jesus, without you, my life would be like a ship without a rudder in a sea of time with no destination at all. I want meaning and significance to my life. And I know if the Bible's true, only you can give that meaning because you give meaning to the whole universe. And then third, I wrote, without you, Jesus, eternity and death would be fearsome to me. But God sent you into the world so loving me that if I just believe on you, I need not perish, but have eternal life. And I put a text with each one of those reasons for why he is so valuable to me. And I jumped up off the floor and I said, I'm going to read that to Alan McCook today. And I went over and typed it on a piece of paper so I could give it to him. I hadn't typed for years. I typed on a piece of paper so I could give it to him. Before I left the room, I asked the Lord for a promise. I need a promise, Lord, because I'm going to chicken out today. I'm going to chicken out if you don't give me us a promise. And you know what he gave me? Chariots of Fire, the movie. And the text 
He who honors me, I will honor. Comes from 1 Samuel 2.30. And I looked up another one. If anyone serves me, Jesus said, the Father will honor him. And I just paraphrased that for myself. I said, okay, if that's true, then it means he who aims in love to testify of my value, I will honor. And the Lord opened my eyes to see there is nothing in the world more valuable than to be honored by God. And I fought the battle all day with that text. And it was great. At noontime, I went to Logos Bookstore and bought a New Testament and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I wrote a message of hope and uh, a prayer in each one of those. And I wrapped them up as a Christmas present. And uh, that night, we had guests for supper. And after supper, I asked these people, I told them what I was going to do, and asked them if they would pray for me while I go next door. And we prayed, and I called them. Hello, Alan. This is uh, John Piper, your neighbor. I've got a Christmas present for you. Can I bring it over? Sure. He's home. Great. Victory number one. And I go over and knock on his door, and he lets me in. We stand there in the living room, and the television is on. And, uh, and I say, i got a couple of books here I wanted to give you for, for Christmas. And uh, there's something else I want to say, too. Is it okay? Sure. I said, uh, you know from our conversations that uh, Jesus is real important to me, and, uh, and I know that, that you don't believe in him the way I do and I've been praying for you every day for almost a year and I, I just felt this morning like I had to come tell you why Jesus is so valuable to me because I'd like like crazy for you to believe in him too and I took out this piece of paper now I was going to read it but the television was on right there beside me and I just can't imagine the atmosphere it was so rotten for sharing something so precious so instead of reading it I I just held there and said, I wrote these down, I'll leave them with you, and I paraphrased them. I said, this is how important he is to me, and I said, these are the reasons. I gave him those three reasons in my own words. And then I said, Al, have you ever desired that kind of a relationship? Have you ever wanted to, to know Jesus like that? And he said, turn off the television, sit down. <laughs> That's great. And we sat down on the couch and talked, and among the things that we said, he said, I read that book in the Boundary Waters, and I heard some Christians singing song in the Boundary Waters. And I said, that might be kind of nice to have faith like that. And, uh, and I said, what hinders? What's the hindrance? Why is it uh, what it would cost, lifestyle, or... or is it intellectual problems? And he said, yeah, the latter. And I said, well, one of these books, C.S. Lewis, was a tremendous help to me when I was a freshman in college, overcoming lots of those hindrances. And uh, I'd love to talk with you about that book and about those problems. And he said, yeah, that would be, that would be great. Could we talk again? Sure. Thank me for my concern. Now, that's where the story stands today. And I pray for him every day now. That's the first time I ever did that in my life. Go to a neighbor. I've talked to other people about the Lord. A neighbor, the hardest people to witness to. And, and go into his house and say, I love Jesus. It's so important to believe in Jesus. Can I tell you why it's important? And I did it. And I would do some things very differently. Retrospect is always better. You, you learn by experience. 
Now, here's the lessons for us from that story. Number one, God is patient. Don't give up on God. He's patient. 18 months of guilt feelings and he did not abandon me. Two, if you continue in prayer, this is all you've got to do, I promise. If you will not quit praying, the Lord will do the rest. That's all. He'll get you one way or the other. All you need to do is pray. What we do is we feel so guilty every time the name comes to mind, we put it out. We blank it out. But if you don't blank it out and you keep praying, he'll do the rest. He'll make the way. And third, if you do what I did, take a piece of paper and write out how much is Jesus worth. Then put that in your own words and then say why and write why there's your testimony. And it's yours. It's authentic. It doesn't have to come from any book. And you'll have a testimony and you'll have the prayer support and our church will be on the way to harvest in 1982. Hmm. Such a relatable, honest, motivating, humbling, encouraging story. I find it encouraging. At least this comes from John Piper's sermon titled, How Much Is Jesus Worth? Preached over 40 years ago on January 10th, 1982. The entire message is online at DesiringGod.org. Well, the Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Timothy 1.15, declared himself to be the world's worst sinner. The world's worst sinner. So was that hyperbole or simple self-deprecation? Or was it true? Was Paul really the world's worst sinner? You want to know? I want to know? A listener named Joel wants to know. And so we'll ask Pastor John next time. We'll see you Friday.